1: If you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One
2: heart at a time.
1: Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio.
3: Welcome to The Inner Life, the show that brings you some direction in your spiritual life. Every day, our spiritual directors field your questions, your comments, and your stories to give you some some encouragement and hope for the continued journey to meeting Jesus face-to-face. My name is Patrick Conley, in for Josh Raymond today. I host a show on Relevant Radio that's local to the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, and I also fill in from time to time on the morning news. But it's good to be back with you on The Inner Life today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our topic for today, of course, on Fridays, we look ahead to the coming Sunday, and this Sunday is the great solemnity of Corpus Christi, the most holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ the great solemnity instituted for the Universal Church by Pope Urban IV in 1264 and who had the inspired idea, if I may say so, of commissioning St. Thomas Aquinas to compose the liturgical text for the feast. Pope Urban said this about the Feast of Corpus Christi. He said, although the Eucharist is celebrated solemnly every day, we deem it fitting that at least once a year it be celebrated with greater honor and a solemn commemoration, well, there's nothing more important than the Eucharist, right? So it's a great, uh, great solemnity to be celebrating this coming Sunday. little story from my own personal life. My wife and I were, uh, well, before we converted to the Catholic faith, were converts uh, from evangelical Protestantism. And once when we were contemplating converting but hadn't yet decided upon it, we took a trip to Rome I remember many impressions from that trip, most of them positive, if I may say so, but one of the most significant ones was sitting in the shadow of Vatican City and opening up a printed copy of now St. John Paul II's encyclical, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, and the very first line grabbed me. This encyclical begins with the words, The Church draws her life from the Eucharist. Those words hit me. And stuck with me, the church draws her life from the Eucharist. In fact, those words prepared me to hear the words of my pastor a few months later, as my wife and I were undergoing our CIA. Speaking on the Eucharist, he began his talk by saying, if the church has the Eucharist wrong, we've got it all wrong. Wise words, and uh, that's what we're going to be contemplating today. Let's say hello to our spiritual director for the day. We'll be guided today by Father Rob Kroll. Father Kroll is a Jesuit priest and Director of Spiritual Formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. Father Kroll, welcome to the program. Good to have you on with us. Thanks for being here.
4: Hello, Patrick. It's good to be with you and our listeners today. Uh, I'm actually at Creighton University, and tonight um, a large group of seminarians from around the country are beginning an eight-day silent retreat as part of a, a summer program through the Institute for Priestly Formation, so I'd like to entrust them and uh, those of us that are directing them to the uh, to the prayers of those who are listening today. But uh, yeah, good to be with you, and it's it's a great topic, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned it. I uh, appreciated the little personal uh, sharing that you gave us, and um, the Eucharist certainly is our life. It's the source and summit of our faith, and um, so I'm I'm happy to be able to to reflect on it today.
3: Absolutely, and so glad that you're here with us to do just that. Well, as we get into it a little bit, before we pitch it out to our listeners, just wanted to uh, ask you, Father, as you have a unique perspective in and amongst the rest of us who are who are laypersons, anyway, mm-hmm. about actual consecration of the Eucharist. And can you give us any mm-hmm. kind of a sense uh, about what it's like to consecrate the Eucharist?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly a great privilege, and I know that, um, you know, I was ordained in 1999, so that's kind of shrouded in the midst of ancient history now, and uh, I do remember um, I was ordained in Milwaukee, my hometown, at the Jesuit Church of the Jesu, and four of us uh, were ordained together, and I, I can remember the joy and being very moved by that opportunity to gather with these new priests, my brothers, and to um, offer that sacrifice of of the of the mass and uh, and then the next day I had a, a first mass at Saint Eugene my home parish and uh, that again was a very moving experience for me and and even though I've celebrated mass almost every day of my life since then uh, it continues to be you know something that I try to approach with great reverence and thought I always keep in mind uh, something that the Missionaries of Charity have in each of their sacristies around the world wherever they have uh, a presence and a chapel they have a sign for the priest to read before he celebrates mass and it reads dear priest of God celebrate this mass as if it were your first mass your last mass and your only mass hmm. and uh, and I really try to take that to heart because uh, while it is a great privilege obviously to celebrate mass and uh, and bring the Eucharist into the world through my Hands and my ministry, uh, because I do it every day. Um, it can become, you know, rather mindless. Um, I can be distracted if I'm not careful, um, and so I have to try to, uh, you know, just prepare myself beforehand with getting my mind and heart in the right place, and then afterwards having a, a brief time of thanksgiving as well. So, so yeah, it's a great uh, privilege as a priest. I think only the Eucharist and and uh, probably. Uh, reconciliation or confession are the, are, you know, there's nothing more, nothing else in my priesthood that really is more important and, and gives me more joy than those two sacraments.
3: Wonderful, Father Rob Kroll is our spiritual director today here on the Inner Life. Well, Father, when you were talking about that, I couldn't help but place your words in my own heart and life. And even though I'm not mm-hmm. consecrating the Eucharist, I do receive the Eucharist, try to very frequently. Mm-hmm. And with that being the case, of course, I, too, need to prepare myself. I need to enter as deeply as I can into the mystery and uh, be well-disposed to receive the Eucharist. Maybe that's a good question Mm -hmm. for our listeners. Do you have a time, do you remember a time when the Eucharist really hit home for you, when it really came— you clearly understood a little bit more about what it is, what kind of a gift it is. Do you have any tips or secrets to share? Do you have any questions about how we can take the Eucharist uh, more seriously, I suppose, or approach it with mm-hmm. more reverence? If you do, please give us a call, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Again, that phone number, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Join the conversation. You can also send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Well, Father, we're uh, thinking about that uh, disposition, as I mentioned, being Mm -hmm. disposed, well disposed, to receive the Eucharist. What advice would you Mm -hmm. give to listeners in terms of being well disposed, and what does it mean to be well disposed to receive the body and blood of Jesus?
4: Yeah, that's a really important uh, question, Patrick, and I guess I would approach it from a couple of different angles. I mean,. First of all, I would say that in a very general sense, a global sense, a broad sense, we want to approach the Eucharist, um, obviously, with reverence, and we want to be in a state of grace, right? We're asked by the Church not to receive communion if we know that we're in a state of mortal sin, and we've ruptured our relationship with the Lord. Um, So we want to approach it, you know, none of us are completely holy and perfect, of course, but we want to be well disposed in that sense, you know, morally, morally. Um, ready to receive this great gift of our faith, uh, the Lord's very body and blood, soul, and divinity. So we don't want to approach it in an unworthy manner. Um, Another way we can talk about being disposed is to prepare ourselves um, by living a a good Catholic Christian life. Um, The Eucharist is meant to be um, nourishment for our life. We're meant to live a Eucharistic life. So when we receive the Eucharist on Sunday or any day that we go, we should then leave the church and live out the Eucharist in our words and actions. And so we want to be well disposed in that sense, that, that every day we're, we're living a Eucharistic life. So when we approach the altar and receive the Lord's body and blood, <clears throat> you know we're, we're doing it well, and, and, he, and he's again nourishing us to go out and live a life. Now, more immediately, I would say that, uh, you know, some things we can do to help dispose ourselves might be to uh, educate ourselves a little more about the Eucharist, especially if it's been many years, you know, we we went to Catholic grade school or high school, or maybe we uh, went through an RCA program like you did. But uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> if we haven't read anything about the Eucharist in a long time, we might educate ourselves a little bit more and also maybe read some of the saints' writings about it. We can also try to... Um, you know, come to Mass a little early if we can and, and spend some time in quiet prayer. Um, and just, just, again, trying to dispose our minds and hearts to receive uh, Jesus. Um, we might, uh, you know, Matthew Kelly, the great Catholic apologist that I think many of us are familiar with, he's a, sure. an Australian man. He, um, you know, he suggested bringing a, one of those tiny little notebooks, like a pocket notebook and a pen to Mass. And and as you are, are, are experiencing the Mass, to maybe write down something from one of the readings, or maybe the homily, or maybe there's a hymn, but just to make a small notation about something that really touched you in that Mass. And then, you know, you go home, and then and the other six days of the week, uh, if you're only going on Sunday, if you're going every day, that's a, that's fine too. But uh, you try to live it out, you know, try to live out whatever you wrote down. And then when you come back the following Sunday, you write down something else, and pretty soon you have a, a notebook full of kind of little ideas that, that struck you and so that might be something practical to do as well. Um, yeah. So those are those yeah. are a few
3: little more practical things. Wonderful. Uh, that's a, a great set of tips and suggestions there from you, Father. Thanks for the thanks for that so much. Uh, we are going to go to the phones now. We've got Craig who's calling in from Oconomowoc, <coughs> Wisconsin. And Craig, you are on the Inner Life. Welcome to the program. Maybe a for just a minute, a small about... us, Craig, okay. Well, if you are there, Craig, hang on the line, and we'll make sure that we've got uh, we've got you situated and ready and and uh, and set to go. And let me, Father, let me turn back to you in terms of your own calling, because I think oftentimes the uh, I, oftentimes the Eucharist can play a very significant role in terms of vocation um, mm-hmm. in people's lives. And I'm just wondering if an appreciation of the Eucharist, Father, had any. Uh, and any role to play in your own discernment of your priestly vocation?
2: Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, I would say it did, uh, Patrick. I I went to St. Eugene grade school for eight years, and during those years I was uh, an altar server, uh, as many priests were when they were young. And um, there was something, I think, very significant about participating in that kind of intimate and close way in the Eucharist. Now, obviously, as a young boy, uh, well, even now, I don't fully understand the Eucharist. It's a great mystery. Um, all the great truths of our faith, be it the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Eucharist, you know they're, they're not irrational, of course, but they're super irrational. They, they kind of go beyond our ability to fully grasp and understand, and, and that's a very good thing. I mean, if God and all the mysteries of our faith could be brought down to our level where we would understand them thoroughly, uh, it wouldn't be a very... Great thing to believe in, right. but I, I would say for me there was something about the mystery of the mass uh, that I remember, uh, and just being able to again serve, uh, help Father Mac in, uh at the altar, um, and, and to just see how people receive the Eucharist—you um, know—reverently and joyfully. All of that uh, really, I think, made an impact on me, even I, even if I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time. And and then as I got older, you know, I appreciated more and understood more what the Eucharist was about. And I, I kind of grew up in the 70s and then high school in the eight, early 80s. So at that time, um, I would say like Eucharistic adoration wasn't a big part of my experience. Uh, but as, uh, you know, as I got older and as in more recent times, adoration has, has kind of made a, a comeback. Um, that's also been an important part of my spirituality and um, we can maybe, you know, talk about that and benediction sure. uh, later in the program. But, um, yeah, I would say that uh, certainly the Eucharist had an important part of my vocation. As a Jesuit, I was also very drawn to the, the example and the mission of the Society of Jesus that I experienced in, in the schools that I attended. And so there was that dimension of the faith, too. But but the Mass was
3: certainly key. Mm. Very good. Are you devoted to the Eucharist? Do you receive the Eucharist frequently? Do you make regular visits to the Blessed Sacrament? If so, call in, give us your story, and share it with our other listeners. 888-914-9149. I think we have Craig back on the phone now. Craig, let's go to you, calling in from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program.
0: Thank you, John, and hello to Father Kroll. And I would have just two ideas that I, two Understandings that I had just come to appreciate, and I'm 78 years old, and I went through Catholic schools all my life. The first is what the transubstantiation really means. I'd like Father Rob to explain that. It's not just consubstantiation, as it was clarified in this reading. It's a transubstantiation, and I never had a as full a realization of what that mystery is. And then the second, very quickly on top of that is that when we receive Christ in the Holy Communion, when we go up to receive Holy Communion every day, as it was explained in this book, we are not receiving a thing, the host. We are receiving a person, and that deepens my appreciation of the Eucharist.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, thanks, Craig, for calling and asking those two things, and I'm happy to try to touch on each of them. Yes. so with respect to transubstantiation, I mean, we as Catholics, believe that um, you know, through that consecration, consecratory act of the priest, that what begins as ordinary bread and wine, some of the most uh, ordinary and uh, you know, humble things that we have, things that we don't value very greatly, um, they become uh, the body and blood and soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. Now the accidents. We often make this distinction, you know, be- between the accidents and the essence. So it still looks like bread and wine. It has the taste of bread and wine, the texture, but um, but in reality, it isn't bread and wine anymore. It is now, as you said, the uh, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is His person, and so I think it is really important that people understand that when that host is put on their tongue or put on their hand. Um, that they are not receiving, uh, as you said, a thing, an object, but they are encountering uh, the living God. Uh, they are receiving the very person of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so amazing about this is I, I think, you know, it's the most intimate way, I think, that we can actually receive the Lord because we take him literally into our very bodies and into our very souls, into our very selves. So it's a highly personal encounter and, you know, I think about the fact um, that, you know, when we, when we pray our rosaries and we pray the uh, mystery of the presentation and we think about Simeon and Anna, here are two old people that have just been longing to just, just lay their hands and their eyes on the Messiah. And so he's brought to the temple and, you know, of course, Simeon now says, you can take me home, Lord. I'm ready to die in peace because I've, I've actually held, you know, this baby in my arms, the, the Christ. But think about the privilege we have, which is even greater than theirs. We can not only touch, but we can actually eat God, right? We can consume Jesus Christ so that so that from within he can nourish us and, uh, and fill us. And so, you know, it's unfortunate that I think today so many Catholics receive the Eucharist kind of glibly. Um, you know, the statistics show that maybe only a third of Catholics going to Mass or at least those who call themselves Catholics, even believe that it is truly uh, the body and blood of Christ. And so, um, you know, in the old, in, in previous centuries, while everyone was obligated to go to Mass, uh, reception of the Eucharist was quite infrequent, maybe a few times a year. I think King Louis the Ninth of France went six times a year, and that was considered kind of frequent back then. And even today, while the Church says we need to go to Mass every week and on holy days of obligation, we're only obligated to receive the Eucharist once a year during Easter. I say that because I think, while, it, while it's certainly a great gift that we can receive the Eucharist every day now, and many people go to daily Mass and do that, the danger or risk of that is we just get, again, kind of immune to what this is really all about. Just like me as a priest celebrating every day, I can, you know, I can kind of have a ho-hum attitude if I'm, if I'm not careful.
3: Wonderful, that Father, thank an, you for that.
4: Response. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
3: yeah, very good, very good. Craig, thank you so much for the call, and thank you for the explanation, Father. Very good, and good encouragement, too, to really stay focused on not just what, but who the Eucharist is. Is there a time when you came to appreciate the Eucharist? Was it? Uh, what was it that brought you into that appreciation? Give us a call. Join the conversation: eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. As we're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Rob Kroll, on the upcoming feast of Corpus Christi, and as we are turning to that this weekend, we're going to head into our first break. When we come back, we'll have more spiritual direction from Father Kroll all around the Eucharist. Please stay with us.
1: If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio.
3: Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. Patrick Kindly in for Josh Raymond, and I'd like to thank... I'd like to thank both Jim Shaver and Patrick Alog in their help with uh, putting on the show today and our spiritual director as we talk about the Holy Eucharist with the upcoming Feast of Corpus Christi. Our spiritual director is Father Rob Kroll, a Jesuit priest and director of the spiritual formation at St. Francis' Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. You know, Father, you had mentioned uh, in response to that last call, you'd mentioned a little bit about uh, there was there's a number of people and it's been shown again and again that there's uh, people even self-proclaimed Catholics, self-identified Catholics who don't believe in the real presence of Jesus there in in the consecrated elements of the Eucharist. Just wondering if you have any advice for something we can do, maybe just one thing we can do to help people who are struggling with that belief in the real presence. Hmm.
4: yeah I think uh, Patrick what I would want to highlight is because um, we talked about the fact that we're receiving a person so I want to I guess I would want to highlight with people the fact that um, God in Jesus in leaving us this mass the Eucharist but really all the sacraments too they're, they're giving us a way that we can um, respect our human nature as embodied persons like we're not just uh, pure spirits, the way God and angels are, and we're not just bodies the way animals are, but we're created as a, a spiritual and physical unity, a body and soul unity. And so all of the sacraments involve words, uh, gestures, substances, you know, think about water and baptism, um, oil also with baptism or anointing. And in the Eucharist, you know, Jesus, he gathers his closest friends on the eve of his death, and he takes a meal, a Passover meal, which has already been an important part of the Jewish faith, and he transforms it into the Mass. And I guess I would want to help people understand that in doing that, Jesus is respecting and honoring our human nature as embodied persons. I would also want to highlight the fact that, you know, anytime we have an important celebration in our life, a birthday, an anniversary, July 4th is coming up, um, you know, we could multiply the examples, but we almost always celebrate important moments in our lives with, with food and drink, with a meal. And, and often it's a very highly ritualized meal. Think of Thanksgiving, for example, and how the menu and just all the different rituals that go around that. So, you know, again, the mass I think responds to this need that we have as human beings to do something tangible Physical, concrete, because the spiritual, being invisible, it's o- it always seeks embodiment. And I like when I'm teaching about the Eucharist or any of the sacraments. I like to highlight also the reality of like the, the love that a man and woman, a husband and wife share. They might have all this love, this this feeling of great tenderness and love and affection for each other. It might it might exist in their hearts, but by you know they have to express that in order for for it to remain real and deepen. And so they go out to a candlelight dinner or they walk hand in hand along the beach or they celebrate their intimacy through, you know, their their um, sexual intimacy in their marriage. I mean, in all these ways, the love in their hearts gets expressed, embodied and then deepened. And so I think that's what happens, too, with the Eucharist. When we go, you know, week after week, uh, year after year throughout a lifetime, It it changes us. It transforms us. So mm-hmm. those would be some thoughts. That I think can help somebody who may not understand why why we do this. It's both a, a sacred meal and at, at a table, the table of the Lord, and it's a sacrifice on an altar. It's it's our mystical participation in the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But that one sacrifice is reactualized or represented, made present again in our midst because we weren't there two thousand years ago on Calvary. So this way we can touch it. We can. We can unite ourselves with it in a very real and intimate way.
3: Sure, thank you, Father, for that. Uh, is there something in your life that really has helped you to understand the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? If so, give us a call. Join the conversation: triple eight nine one four nine one four nine, or send us an email at innerlife at relevantradio dot com. Let's go back to the phones, Father. We've got Natalie calling in from Hayward, California. Natalie, welcome to the program.
5: Hi. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call
3: sure. Good morning.
5: I, I, Good morning. I just wanted to comment on um, how the Eucharist and adoration has um, affected my life. Um, I'm not a frequent. I do now um, at 35 years old um, know the importance of the Eucharist. I used to long for it going to Mass every Sunday. Um, I, I wouldn't confess. I would just everyone walk up and take the Eucharist, and I longed for it. I wanted to be a part of that. I knew there was something else I should be doing. I felt there was more I could be doing. Um, I, I did my confirmation eventually at 27, and I did start making it a habit of, of, of a lifestyle change to go to Mass every Sunday, and then I, I started confessing, and I I feel like it's changed my life in such a positive way. There's always trials Mm -hmm. and tribulations that happen, um, but there's been key points um, before this um, that I've gone to the foot of the cross in the church. When no one's there, I ask them to open the church up for me. I just need to pray. And and, uh, it's a blessing that they have been able to do that. Or I would go to adoration and I would just sit there with the Eucharist and um that because that's what i've been taught you know and and when i would do that it just made the biggest um difference in whatever what was going on in my life um and and i just want to ask a question too um i'm confessing but how often do i need to confess to be able to take the eucharist every sunday i i i feel like i might slip up and and I'm sorry, but I, I sometimes maybe may cuss, use a cuss word. I get angry easily. So do I need to go to confession every week for me to be able to take the Eucharist every every Sunday? Or do I still go and what what can I do? What can I do? Yeah,
4: yeah it's a great question, Natalie. And uh, before I answer the confession question, I just want to highlight something you said, which is, you know, when you go to adoration... Um, you find that it really helps you when it comes to some of these trials and challenges in your daily life. And I guess what I want to highlight there is, you know, we don't go to adoration or receive the Eucharist at Mass primarily because we're looking for some spiritual high or some intense, you know, emotional experience. Now, that can happen. And if it does, praise God, you know, it's a nice gift. But what really matters is that we are allowing the Eucharist to transform us into Christ. You know, St. Paul talks about clothing ourselves in Christ. And so, you know, when we eat a hamburger or uh, salmon, you know, whatever food we're eating our, at our table tonight, when we eat that food, it gets broken down in our digestive system and it kind of becomes us. It's absorbed into us. When we receive the Eucharist, while we do, of course, absorb that into our bodies, over a lifetime, it progressively transforms us into Christ. We become more Christ-like. And so I want to just highlight that, first of all. But with, with respect to confession, I mean, the Church would say that if we're aware of any serious or grave or mortal sin, then we should get to confession quickly uh, before we receive the Eucharist. Because, again, we want to receive it worthily and in a state of grace. And, um, Without, aware, If we're not aware of any mortal sin that we've committed, I mean, there's no hard and fast rule other than the church would say, you know, a minimum of once a year. But I think most of us that are trying to take our faith seriously and live it out well, we recognize that that's a pretty low bar. And so for myself, like I work with all these seminarians and just in my own life, you know, I encourage at least a monthly confession because I figure in every 60 days or 30 days, um, I have, you know, thought things, said things, done things that are not, are not holy or good. And even if they're not serious, they're still sins. And then also, of course, we have to remember that we can sin by omission, by failing to do what we ought. So, you know, I would say for yourself, you know, you don't have to necessarily go every week, unless again, there's grave sin, but you might consider once a month. I think that's a pretty normal and common rhythm. But some some people go every week, every Saturday. Uh, some people do go every other week. So there's you know there's no hard and fast rule. I would say you know maybe go you know just as long as it's regular. And 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 if you feel the need to go for not only for forgiveness but for strengthening purposes because it is a sacrament that strengthens us in holiness, then you can go too. So. So I can't give you an exact, you know, number of days, but I would say, you know, certainly uh, once a month would be probably a good practice. All right.
5: Okay. Thank you so much.
4: All right, All right. Thanks for calling in.
3: Yes. Thank you for calling in, Natalie. We appreciate that call. If you too have a story about how the Eucharist has affected your life, how you've grown close to the Lord through Eucharistic adoration or through reception of his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, give us a call, 888 914 9149. Let's go from Natalie to Joe, who's calling in from Staten Island, New York. Joe, welcome to the inner life.
6: Thank you, Patrick. Hello, Father. I just wanted to share with your listeners. Hi. (laughs) I wanted to share with your listeners how I try to be as reverent as possible when going to uh, communion. excuse me I uh, get to mass uh, at least a half hour before and I do the readings at the mass each day and uh, by the time the church fills up I'm uh, ready to start the mass with the entrance antiphon but when we come to the uh, reception of communion I try to avoid what I call the eat and go Um, I receive on my hand, but I step about five or six steps away from the uh, priest uh, station distribution. And I bow my head and I communicate myself. So uh, I see many people just walking away, uh, kind of putting a host in their mouth and continue walking. So uh, those are two things that I can share with you and. Hopefully, it'll help others uh, uh, receive a more reverent uh, attitude mm-hmm. toward the reception of communion.
4: All right, Joe. Well, thanks for sharing uh, your personal experience. And, yeah, getting the Mass, I mean, I think uh, getting the Mass early, like you do, to reflect on the readings is, is awesome. Um, the only thing, I mean, I, I, I think it's really neat, actually, that you don't, like you said, just kind of run off, you know, eat and run off, that you, you try to receive the host uh, reverently. The only thing, when you were describing that, the only thing that made me a little nervous is, now your, whoever, your church, I'm sure they know you and they, they know what you're doing, but if I were distributing communion at a parish, let's say, where I was helping out, and, and then I saw somebody walking away with the Eucharist in their hand, um, I would watch them because I know it doesn't happen often, but I've heard stories where, you know, people will sometimes take the Eucharist and especially, I mean, uh, there are some people that want to desecrate it, you know, like Satanists and things like that. And I know that in some larger churches, like in the Vatican, I think they, they have pe- ushers that kind of watch for this. So I only say that because, um, you know, that could make uh, a Eucharistic minister or, or the priest or the deacon a little bit nervous, but you're not going far. I know you're just going a few steps, but um, you know what, what? What you what a person could do is maybe as they receive it in their hand, they could put it into their mouth. Um, they could step over, you know, a step or two to the side. I've seen people do that, and then they might look up even at the crucifix, receive it, uh, make the sign of the cross, and then kind of reverently walk back to their pew. But but anyway, I appreciate your, uh, yeah, your reverence sounds really wonderful. So thanks for sharing that.
3: Yes, thank you, Joe. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for your uh, your call in today. If you have ways that you have uh, been led to revere Christ all the more in your reception of the Eucharist, perhaps you've been receiving the Eucharist for for uh, years now, maybe decades, and you have a lot of experience with it, um, what have you done to increase your reverence uh, your sense of reverence, your your disposition, as you go to receive His most holy body and blood in the Eucharist. Give us a call, join the conversation. Our number here again on the Inner Life is eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine Father, I we want to go to a break in just a moment, but first I wanted to ask you quickly, uh, just before we did. Because Joe's questions got me thinking and how, how important it is to receive communion. But, of course, we've just come through this pandemic in which many people were forced to make a spiritual communion. And I think I want to ask just, uh, just for a couple, couple words from you about a spiritual communion, because some of our listeners may still not be able to receive communion. How would you encourage them in spiritual communion? And are there really graces coming from God in making a spiritual communion?
4: Yeah, it's a really important question, and as you say, Patrick, the pandemic has kind of highlighted this for people. I know that now we're starting to be able to go back to Mass more, but there's still many people that can't get to Mass, either because of, you know, living in a very remote area, or maybe they're disabled, or there's all, a number of reasons. But, you know, I think we have to remember, as the Catechism itself says, that God is not bound by his sacraments. So while the church uh, normally we're obligated to get to Mass on Sundays and the Holy Days of Obligation, and the church encourages frequent reception of the Eucharist itself, you know, if circumstances prevent someone from, um, you know, actually receiving the Eucharist at Mass, I mean, God can extend his uh, grace in any way that he chooses. And and so we have this tradition in the church of, of a spiritual communion. Some of the great saints of our tradition... Talk about this, especially when they when they lived at times in history when actual reception was rare. Um, you know, they would encourage uh, spiritual communion, and and we have to remember too that at every mass the whole church is mystically present, not just those in in that church building at the time, but we're all kind of united in the body of Christ at every celebration. Of that Eucharistic sacrifice, so even if we're not able to physically receive it, um, we can unite ourselves spiritually through it. And there's no set formula for that, but there are some common prayers. Like I know that Saint Alphonse's Liguri has one. So a person might find um, a prayer on the internet or or in a prayer book for spiritual communion, and then just and then just make that act. Usually, you know, be, you might make a little act of contrition first, and just confess any sin that you're aware of and then you just express to the Lord your own faith in the real present, that he's really present in the Eucharist, and then you just express your desire to be united with him spiritually through a spiritual communion. Um, so I, it, it can be pretty simple, but I, I think it's very profound nonetheless.
3: Very good. And many of us had that experience throughout at least uh, some weeks or months here through the mm-hmm. pandemic, and uh what a blessing it was and it has been to return to, to honoring and worshiping and then receiving Christ himself in the Eucharist for those of us who are able. All right. I think we're going to go into our second break. We're going to continue speaking with our spiritual director, Father Rob Kroll, about the upcoming Feast of Corpus Christi and the importance of the Eucharist in our lives. Thanks for tuning in to The Inner Life. We'll be right back. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com Forester.
1: If you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. Call now, one 914 9149 That's one 914 9149 The Inner Life with Josh Raymond on Relevant Radio.
3: Back to the inner life. Patrick Conley in for Josh Raymond, and we are grateful that you are joining us today as we're looking ahead to the Feast of Corpus Christi this Sunday, speaking with our spiritual director, Father Rob Kroll. Father Rob is a Jesuit priest and director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. Father, let's go right back to the phones. We've got Jack, who's been patiently waiting, calling in from California, and uh, he has, I think, a couple questions for us. So, Jack from California, you are on the inner life. Welcome.
6: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, You actually answered one of them, um, but I'll ask the other. So once we receive the Eucharist, um, how long are we considered uh, a tabernacle? Um, Yeah, that's the question. Okay, Jack.
4: Um, You know, I've never really uh, heard that question, or or I don't have an exact, you know, uh, time to give you. I, I think we have to be a little careful um, I like the word tabernacle a lot. In fact, when I um, when I give preach weekend retreats, I'll often preach them in a in a chapel where there is a tabernacle with a sanctuary life, and I'll try to help the retreatants realize that when they receive the Eucharist, you know, in a sense, we're, we become a, a living, breathing, mobile tabernacle because we have the living Christ within us. And and what what a difference it would make in our world if we looked upon all the other people we bump into in our daily life as, you know, living tabernacles. I mean, either because they're Catholic and have that Eucharist within them or because they're Christians and, and, uh, you know, have uh, the living God, the Trinity dwelling within them. But, uh, yeah, in terms of how long, I I mean, again, it depends. I I don't think it isn't like, uh, you know, if you receive the Eucharist at 8 a.m., you can say that by noon or 5 p.m., Uh, somehow, you know, you cease, um, you know, living in the Spirit, right? I mean, I think we have to be a little careful about, again, reducing it to a thing, Um, and it's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and hopefully a regular, whether it's weekly or even daily, that that regular nourishing of the Eucharist kind of maintains that that reality that we're connected to Christ, we're um, united to Him. Now, there is, I think, at least in my own spirituality, as I think about it. You know, I'm, I'm very aware that right after receiving the Eucharist, um, there's kind of an intimacy there. And I, I try to make a, an act of thanksgiving. And so I don't, like, just rush off from Mass. I think it's important to try to make an act of thanksgiving and just pause, you know, for a, at least a brief time to acknowledge that um, the Lord is now, you know, present in a, in a kind of a very intense way. But, you know, does that intensity lessen or weaken uh, as the hours go by after communion? I mean, I don't know. I'd have to, you know, do some more thinking, I think, about that. Maybe other people have thoughts about that that they want to share. But, um, again, the danger is we kind of turn it into, like, like you know, like a vaccine you get or something, you know, has a certain, like the COVID vaccine, they say, has a certain duration, right? Or So I think we have to be careful about reducing the Eucharist to... Uh, just this um, object that kind of has an efficacy for X amount of time. Or I, don't, I don't know if it really has like an expiration date, as it were, um, the way, you know, the, the food and drink we might have uh, does. But anyway, so I can't. Give, I guess I can't answer your question exactly, perhaps the way you were hoping, but maybe what I've said uh, makes some sense.
3: Yeah, Jack, thank you for that. I think uh, I think it's an important question, but at the same time, I think, uh, of course, what uh, transcends that is the promise of Jesus' presence given to us. As we are, as you said, fathers, we are remade in His image and likeness, that so we uh, mm-hmm. become more like Christ through the reception of the Eucharist. Jack, thank you for the call. Let's go from Jack to Tom calling in from Wapaka, Wisconsin. Tom, welcome to The Inner Life.
2: Oh, thank you for taking my call. Um uh, sure. I've been going to church and receiving communion, and I had some doubts. And a friend of mine taught me a prayer that's in the Bible. It's, Jesus, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. So I Mm -hmm. started saying that every time I received Holy Communion. And one time I received communion, and I said that prayer, and I had so much joy in my heart. I'm in the back of the church, and I'm giggling. I couldn't stop giggling for like three, four minutes, or, and I had so much peace. And I know when I receive Jesus now, he, he makes my heart more like his every time. Mm-hmm. But that prayer, yeah, I think if it wasn't for that prayer, I don't know if that would have ever happened. But I know I've always had some doubt but I just kept saying that prayer every time I received Holy Communion and it was amazing. That's all I can say. Mm hmm
4: Well, thanks Tom for sharing that experience. And you know, those words come right out of the gospel. Uh, the father, I believe it's the father of uh, a boy that, that the Lord is, is, is healing. And, uh, so yeah, those are classic words, you know, Lord, I believe help my unbelief. And, um, and it is nice when once in a while it happens where maybe our heart is touched in a particularly uh, strong or emotional way. You mentioned the joy that you experience, and so that's to be welcomed as a great gift. But as I said earlier in the program, you know, that doesn't mean that if you don't feel that joy uh, that you've somehow, you know, not been receiving the grace. Or you know, So we have to be a little careful about putting, equating an emotional experience with the actual uh, presence of Christ or, or the grace given. Uh, it can happen in our prayer, too, that we go through long periods in prayer where we feel dry, distracted, or abandoned, and the Lord, the Lord can actually be teaching us a lot through that experience. Whereas if, we, if we're always expecting to be on a kind of a, a spiritual high or to have all, all the sweet and delightful feelings in prayer, and if we don't get those, we're going to be maybe tempted to give up so we have to kind of distinguish between an emotional reaction and the actual reality of the Lord's presence. But nonetheless, it, it's wonderful that you uh, find that prayer helpful and that you are uh, at least occasionally uh, touched uh, in your heart by the, by the Eucharist. So thanks for sharing that.
3: Yes, thank you, Tom. I appreciate the call and great story to uh, great prayer to pray. Lord I believe help my unbelief let's go from Tom to Anna who's calling in from Chicago Illinois Anna welcome to the inner life
7: hello um, that's hello. a very good point because I think this is like an addition to what that point is mm-hmm. um, basically I this is just my experience I mean with the emotional response that I'm talking about also um, the 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 feeling I have is like the current ease, the current ease of the present um, when I receive the Eucharist and then like when I talk about, like I'm fearful about the future and all this stuff and then like Jesus is telling me, don't worry about the future, worry about right now, uh-huh. I'm easing your okay. pain right now. So uh-huh. he's like the present for some reason. That's why I, the Eucharist to me is the more often you have it, the more ease you have at the present. You know, so like, mm, I don't know. For some reason, I got that idea <laughs> from. Uh huh. Um,
4: so you, yes. you find you're saying so that basic, when you are that you just want to the make sure. Yeah, it kind of helps you, Anna, to uh, trust more. You kind of have a deeper trust that the Lord's going to, you know, be with you and kind of work things out, and you don't you don't have to worry or be anxious so much, right?
7: That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes.
4: Yeah. He, no, and I think your... it's, it's a good reason to go ahead. Please go ahead.
7: He eases your anxiety, basically. He, uh, so, because he eases, he he helps you in the present.
4: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's a good uh, reason to go to mass even daily or more than just on Sundays, because uh, you know we need him every day, and we always face difficulties and trials. You know, maybe not every day, somewhat regularly. So, I think um, yes, for a lot of Catholics that are devout and receive the Eucharist regularly, they find that you know, receiving the Lord does bring them a peace and a confidence and a strength um, that they might not have otherwise. And, uh, and there's also, you know, we have to remember that the Eucharist, I mean, there's there's the actual communion that we receive, but we also hear the Word of God proclaimed. That's another way in which Christ is present at Mass, and, um, and, the, and the priest or deacon may break open the Word in a way that also gives us some insight and some consolation So along with the actual body and blood of Jesus, you know the mass can bring us uh, wisdom and and help uh, through other, you know through other aspects of it too. But but
3: thanks for yeah thanks for calling in Anna. All right, thank you Anna, appreciate it very much. Let's take one more call. Let's squeeze one more in here. We've got Faith who's coming calling in from Jersey City. Faith, welcome to the Inner Life. We only have a little bit of time left, so please be brief.
7: Okay just wanted to say that in 1978, I was completing a master's degree at the University of Vermont and working, and my job went part-time. So the time that I had, I used to go to the Catholic Newman Center and spend time before the Blessed Sacrament. And within about four to five months of doing that, I noticed that my loneliness was completely transformed I no longer experience loneliness, and that has persisted. I'm now 78 years old, and um, I haven't dealt with loneliness uh, since then. So I want to encourage people to spend time with the Blessed Sacrament. I also want to say that I was also going through counseling at the University of Vermont, so that also helped with the process of integration.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that faith, and I probably don't need to add much commentary. I think it's just it's a good witness, and uh, the combination of the spiritual and the human or psychological there, you know, that's, that's often in our lives, those two things kind of relate together. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're receiving the Lord himself in the Eucharist, you know, so uh, what better friend do we have? I can understand why your loneliness
3: would be alleviated, so thank you. Yes, thank you, Faith. Appreciate the call very much, and uh, yeah, as I mean, what what a great day to talk about the Eucharist as we're looking ahead to Sunday and the Feast of the Corpus Christi, when it is honored with a special commemoration, as uh, as Pope Urban IV has said, it's a special commemoration on Sunday. And there, I'm sure there'll be Eucharistic processions and all that sort of thing going on in and around our parishes and around our communities, as well as we hold the Eucharist in high regard. Father, as you know, we always like to close our show with a blessing, so if you, if I could ask you, please, to, uh, to close off the show. We've got a little bit of time here. Um, we would love your blessing as we look forward to this great feast coming up on Sunday.
4: All right, very good. Well, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And Heavenly Father, Jesus, our Lord and Brother, Holy Spirit, our Advocate and Guide, we praise you and bless you and glorify you this day, especially for the gift of the Eucharist. We ask that we might always approach it and receive it reverently and live it out fully in our daily lives. And I ask to bless all of our listeners as they um, try to live good and holy lives. And so please uh, send down your blessing. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen.
3: Amen. Father Rob Kroll, our spiritual director today on The Inner Life, thank you for tuning in. We will be back on Monday. In the meantime, stay tuned. Father Michael Brennan is our celebrant at the Tri- Chapel of the Nativity in Green Bay for the Sun or the Daily Mass. Thanks for
2: joining us.